Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com. Hi there, it's Claire here, and for this episode of the show, we are bringing you a Money Clinic classic, How to Get Started as an Investor. It's still one of the most popular questions that listeners ask me, and something we'll be exploring in depth in season two. Behind the scenes, we're putting together that new season of Money Clinic now, and it will launch this September. It's going to be packed with real-life stories, interviews, and advice on the money aspirations and concerns that we know are on our listeners' minds. Listen out for investment masterclasses from the likes of The Naked Trader, also known as Robbie Burns, and expert advice on a range of your real-life money stories. And it's not too late to get in touch with us if you would like to feature on the show. Are you single and navigating the world of personal finance without a partner? I'm also looking for guests who follow the FIRE movement, and I'm always interested in hearing what you think about investing in crypto. Email me, money at ft.com, or send me a DM on Instagram or Twitter. My account handle is at Claire B. In the meantime, I wanted to take you back to the launch of Money Clinic back in October 2021. I spoke to Noreen, who is looking for tips and advice on how to get started in investing. This episode is full of information that is still really relevant to anyone wondering how to take the plunge today. Here it is. So you've decided you want to start investing, but where do you begin? I just thought it was a big black box that I didn't understand and I didn't want to go into or I couldn't afford it. But many young first-time investors are putting their money to work. In fact, UK investment platforms reported a surge in new account openings at the start of the pandemic lockdown. I'm like, you know, investing has to be when you have millions and then you can, you know, invest in millions and make millions as well. I just, I don't think it's ever been advertised as quite an attractive or friendly environment, I suppose. Well, you don't have to be rich, but getting into the investment habit early could pay dividends in later life. Even if you only have £25 a month to spare, that's enough to get started. Welcome to The Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times dedicated to tackling real-life financial issues. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's Consumer Editor. At a time when the coronavirus has thrown everybody's finances into sharp focus, my experts and I hope to help you make the most of your money. 
In this episode, we're tackling a problem that many listeners have been emailing me about. How can I get started as an investor? 37-year-old London resident Noreen was one of them. Noreen, can you describe the moment that the penny dropped and you realised that you were ready to invest? I think what happened was I got my annual um, pension statement, and this is just my private pension, not even Mm. the state one. And I looked at what my potential earnings could be per month from my pension pot at the end of whenever it is I'm going to be retiring. And I was like, no, I can't live on this. (laughs) This is not going to be enough. And what kind of projection was the pension annual statement giving you sort of like less than your mortgage is costing you every every year or significantly less in fact I have it here on my vision board I can just grab it hang on a minute rewind rewind a vision board a vision board yes I tell me about that made myself a vision board so basically it said I'm going to get something like 500 pounds a month for my pension after yeah, after I retire. And that's not even, you know, looking at how much tax I'm going to have to pay on that as well, which also mind boggling because I'm like, why do I have to pay taxes on top of my pensions and on top of all the taxes I've already been paying? Uh, so then I basically made myself a vision board to say, OK, these are I need to focus on this and I need to dedicate some time on this and organize my my finances, my life finances. And this is also pre-COVID, like, you know, COVID hadn't even happened at that point. And I'm like, I need to make sure that I plan for my long term future because I'm on my own. I'm not going to have a partner to support me. I'm not going to get any, you know, inheritance windfall whenever. Um... As I said, Noreen is 37. She's single and she's definitely good at saving. She recently bought her first flat, big tick. She works as a data analyst in the hospitality industry, and so far, her job is secure. And it comes with a company pension. She's from a close-knit family, but there's certainly not any multi-million pound inheritance coming her way, so she's ready to take charge of her future safety net. Yeah, that moment happened, and I was like, okay, I need to do something about it, because the only person who's going to look after me is myself, so... But let's talk a little bit about spending, because obviously, you know, you're earning a good wage and you've got money that you can put aside, you think, to put into investments. But what were you spending your money on before the pandemic? Travel. (laughs) Ah. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I've I've really I've learned that I've taken for granted in this pandemic is I used to travel a lot. You know, my family lives in multiple different parts of the world, and I wouldn't even think twice before booking a flight to go visit them. And, you know, that's definitely, I've had to reconsider that during the pandemic, and I haven't been able to go anywhere, and I haven't been able to visit anybody. And, you know, your family's so far away, it really makes you reconsider. Noreen is fortunate to have held on to her job and to be working from home. Since the pandemic hit, she's not spending any money on commuting or on foreign travel, which was previously her biggest splurge category. She's also spending much less money on going out, which means more cash to save and invest. And then the hope is obviously the next couple of months I can continue to grow that. Um, And at the same time, you know, this is again an opportunity for more investment. Um, What can I do with it? How can I get my money to grow further? And what, the UK is officially in a recession. So... 
What does that mean as well? Noreen is not alone. Everyone I know is super focused on their finances right now, as there are just so many unknowns in the future. Top of the worry list, could I lose my job? But pre-existing money worries, like will I have enough to retire on, have also come to the fore. And for women especially, this is a question that requires serious thought. When it comes to your own financial security, what are you worried about in this moment? I think the thing that concerns me the most is to make sure that I have a continuous source of income. Um, Obviously having a job is paramount to that. You don't know in this, particularly in this climate that we're living in, that, you know, what if tomorrow you lose your job, you're made redundant, where is your next source of income going to come from? And I think that for me is my number one concern at the moment is like, I want to make sure that I have multiple sources of income that I can fall back on and I can rely on. And just having savings is not enough because eventually that will go away. So it's that, it's making sure that I have multiple sources of income. So how can Noreen make her extra bit of pandemic savings work for her? I asked the experts who had this advice for first-time investors. Number one, you have to figure out how investing will fit into your overall budget. So I think it's really important for, for Noreen to, to sit and have reflect on her on her expenditure. Something I encourage all my clients to do is, is take a real forensic look. Our first expert is Charlotte Brayton. She's a financial planner at James Hambro and Partners and helps her clients build their long-term financial plans. I also turned to her because I wanted a female take on this investment conundrum. So perhaps looking at a, an average month last year and an average month this year and making an informed decision uh, and then sort of scaling that up to, to one year's worth and, and working out what her annual expenditure is. This, this allows her to sort of make informed decisions and, and it dictates the sort of tolerances of her finances going forward. Um, once once Noreen's got an idea of, of that expenditure, I, I encourage clients to have at least six months worth of cash on deposit as a reserve what you want is to have your cash buffer have your security blanket and then put those savings away and not touch them for the time horizon that you've set so whether that's five years six years seven years and just leave them to to grow so get your cash sorted first next the second tip is to set some goals the vision board is optional but charlotte suggests different pots for different purposes you know, you have your short-term pot, which is your your cash, your instant access your cash that you're that's available in case of emergencies. You sort of have your your mid-term pot. Now that may be saving for a house, that may be thoughts around starting a family, uh, and then you have your your longer-term pot, which is which is your retirement pot, your 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 savings for for later life. And for me, it's quite important once you've set those pots and those objectives. You know, sort of watering each of them, you know, not sort of putting off the retirement pot just because you're in your late 20s and you don't think, oh, retirement for me is not for 30 years, 40 years, because actually the compounding effect of slowly watering that pot is 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 quite significant. The third tip is a tip from me. Make sure you get the biggest bang for your investment buck. Saving into a pension or a 401k plan has tax advantages, but the company you work for also contributes. So if you pay in more, will they match it? Make it your business to find out. 
If the company you work for is listed on the stock market, they probably have a share-save scheme for staff where you can save a set amount of money every month, then buy shares in your company at a big discount. Or, if the stock price has fallen, just keep the cash. In the UK, the most tax-friendly way of owning shares and funds is in a stocks and shares ISA. You can pay in up to £20,000 every year, assuming you don't eat, leave the house or buy anything online. And it's easy to open an account with a bank, an investment platform or even an app. So you've thought about your budget, your goals and where to hold your investments. But now for the tough one. What should you actually invest in? I asked FT Money columnist Jason Butler to give us a 101 in how to get started. If you start with a default of your long-term investing into a global equity index fund, all right, compare any other opportunity to that because it takes a lot of beating. If you look at the whole world and look at all the quoted companies, you're investing in a bit of all of those as in so far as they're represented in an index. So BT, for instance, would be in there. Equally, Microsoft would be in there. So you are getting a little bit of all of these big world-class companies. Now, if you start off with a global equity index fund, you're starting off by putting yourself in a strong position because your costs are very low. Secondly, it's fully diversified all around the world. So if China does start having more quoted companies or or South Africa or or Asia, then they'll automatically be shown up in your portfolio. You don't have to worry about America's companies becoming less. Now, of course, it does mean you have a big exposure to big companies, big tech companies, which are all in the news at the moment. But the point is they're the ones making all the money. So at the end of the day, a global equity index fund is your I don't have to think about it fund. I keep my costs low, so I keep more of the returns that markets deem to give me. And it automatically weights itself automatically for your needs. These index funds give investors exposure to a range of stock market listed companies around the world. But equities aren't the only thing you can invest in. Back to Charlotte for a minute. She says another pick and mix option favoured by many investors are multi-asset funds. These funds tend to, to have a diverse range of assets within them. So cash, stocks and shares, property, bonds. And, and it's a bit like going to the supermarket and picking up a bag of mixed vegetables, you know, not having to pick the vegetables yourself. So there's sort of a great way to, to just start. Uh, as you get a bit more experienced, you know, you might want to go around the supermarket and decide to pick your own veg and be a bit more adventurous. To continue Charlotte's analogy, pre-packed vegetables are convenient and quick, but as all the work is done for you, they can be a bit more expensive. As with anything in life, you need to compare the prices of different funds to make sure they offer value for money. In investor speak, the metric to look out for is the TER, or Total Expense Ratio. Our next tip comes from Jason Butler. Think about your risk appetite. Equities can be volatile, but they offer strong growth prospects. Bonds are seen as less risky, but an investment portfolio built entirely of those isn't going to shoot the lights out. So I use, for instance, a fund from a big fund group, um, which has a little bit of bond exposure in it, fixed income exposure. So I have 80% equities, 20% bonds. So there are those funds that, again, are still index funds, but you can have a little bit of, I call it scotch and water. Now, I like to have 80% scotch, 20% water. My kids have 100% scotch in their portfolios, not in their drinks. Well, I hope they don't. (laughs) So the point here is to blend what you can cope with in terms of journey. 
So for people who have already started on their investment journey, the last couple of months have been a roller coaster ride for investors, including for me. Now, my natural instinct when the stock markets plunged was to think, oh, should I be selling up? It's very, very hard, isn't it, to overcome that urge to sell? Yes, and that's human nature. The, the, what you've got to remember is there's two things we crave, security and control. So when we feel that our security is affected, which is your suddenly what that money represents is your long-term security, right? You're being able to live when you're older. But secondly, you're out of control. You can't control it. So it's natural. What you've got to do is you have to go through and give yourself lifeboat drills. What's going to happen is about every three or four years, stock markets are going to fall. Sometimes 5 or 6%, sometimes 15 20%, sometimes like this pandemic, 30%. It's normal. Markets on average, if you're just investing in a 100% equity index fund, about a third of the time they'll be falling, a third of the time they'll be recovering, and about a third of the time they'll be breaking new ground. So the falls are part and parcel. That's the price you have to pay in order to access higher potential returns. Our experts have discussed some entry-level routes into investing. But as you get more comfortable with investing, there are thousands of possible funds, shares and markets to choose from, something Noreen has found overwhelming. Yeah, and, and that's the problem. With more information, it's a bit like when you go to this uh, a restaurant and there's an enormous menu and you just think, God, all I want to do is eat something, right? And I, I find that. And you get overwhelmed. And when you're overwhelmed, the easiest option is to do nothing or do a knee-jerk reaction. So here's the way around that. The psychologists tell us that what we should do when we're overwhelmed is take the first really small, simple step. So if you are, if you've dealt with all the other things we've discussed and you've got your other bases covered, just start off with 50, 60 or 70 pounds a month into the fund of your choice or the provider of your choice. Just start off really small, right? Even if it's not a perfect selection or it's not the optimum amount you want to say, get used to doing that. Get used to seeing the valuations, get more comfortable. And it's a bit like um, it's a bit like if you're gonna be running a marathon. You don't just run 10k run straight away if you've never done the exercise for 10 years. You do a brisk walk, right? Get used to that. Get used to doing it regularly. But start off with an ex equity index fund if your time horizon's 20 years or more. Start off with a really small amount and just get used to doing it. Get started and keep going is the message from our experts. But what does our first-time investor, Noreen, make of all of these tips? I guess I'd probably come into this thinking I might have some groundbreaking revelation, but I guess in another way, it's a constant reminder that if I do my own research and I do my own digging, I'll come to the same answer in the end anyways. <laughs> um, so just to learn to trust myself and believe in myself and just, just go for it, really. Well, my final advice to you, Noreen, would just be to make a plan and stick to it. Like you've looked at your budget, you've looked at what you're spending money on. Obviously, that might change as the economy opens up a bit more. But work out what you can afford to invest every month. Take it out on the day that you get paid and find a home for it. You've, you've got a lot of decisions to make. But as the experts have said, make a decision. Start doing it, even if it's with a slightly smaller sum than you have available to invest just to get used to the process. Maybe join a couple of groups online, have a talk to like-minded souls, see what they're doing. But eventually, you need to make a decision and then start learning as you start off on your journey as an investor. 
that's it from the Money Clinic with me, Claire Barrett, this week. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, perhaps to give your own tips about starting off as an investor, or to suggest a future problem you'd like to hear us tackle, then email us. Our address is money at ft.com. Want to read more? Check out the show notes for links to articles I've written on these topics. You can check our website, ft.com money, grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper, or follow us on Twitter at FT Money. The Money Clinic was produced in London by Josh de la Mare. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner and our editor is Amy Keane. And the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, just so you know, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's all the small print over and done with. We'll see you back here next week. Goodbye. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.